This last song that we just sang is going to go exactly to what we're going to be sharing this morning. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Looking at verse 15. Probably we're only going to uh, get as far as 18. But, or 19, we will see how this transpires. Reading from Romans 6, verses 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting in that time from those things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stephen Lawson, pastor, stated this. He said, everyone is a slave. Everyone is a slave. One may live in a free country with freedom of speech and liberty to pursue happiness, but the fact is every person is a slave. This slavery is not political or economic slavery. This slavery is spiritual bondage, either to sin or to Jesus Christ. No one is free to live however they choose to live. All live in slavery to one of two masters either to sin or to the Savior. And then he asks this pointed question, whose slave are you? Now, when conducting a Bible study or even preaching a sermon or just reading the Bible, it's good for you to look to key passages, if you would, for key words in that passage. In other words, if those key words keep repeating themselves, then it's of utmost importance that you stop and pay attention to those key words. And this is the case with our passage today. The word slave appears in this passage five different times. Now, I want you to understand something. This word in the Greek is called doulos. It's different than another word that means servant. I want you to understand that and know what we're talking about today. The word servant comes from the word diakonos. That's where we get the term deacon. It means a servant. A slave is totally different. It uses the word doulos. That's what it means. A servant is someone that is hired by someone else 
to do a job. A slave is someone who is owned. That is absolutely owned. Now, I want you to know that in the Old Testament, that word is called ebed, E-B-E-D. It is used over 1,100 times in the Old Testament. So would you think it's important for us to understand that? If it's used that many times, that is a key word, and we need to pay attention to the word. In the New Testament, that same word doulos is used 150 times, but it's often concealed in our New Testament translations, and it's substituted the word servant. Now, just a few years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book on this topic, and he found that in 22 English translations, in other words, translations that were translated from a different language, such as German, French, Latin, to the English from the time of the King James up until recently, 22 English translations, only one used the word slave throughout the translations, only one out of 22, and it was the Goodspeed translation who, he was a professor of Greek at a college in Chicago. But we do have one that came recently that is the Holman Christian Standard Bible uses the word slave each time. So why is this so? Why did they conceal it? Because of the stigma of the word. It began, believe it or not, because in back with the Geneva Bible, which John Calvin and others translated into the English, slavery was such a bad, debilitating, humiliating, degrading term, they didn't want to give offense, so they would say bondservants. They would change that word to mean bondservants. But that is absolutely unfortunate because slaves is what describes a Christian. We just sang about it. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I will follow my master. Those are slave terminology. And when we look at it from a Christian's perspective, we need to understand that our relationship to Christ has been described as one of a slave. In the New Testament, we have the word Jesus, which means kurios. It's put down as kurios. It means Lord. But oftentimes, it's coupled together with our Lord and Master. The Greek word is despotes. Guess what we get our word despot from? Despotes means someone who is domineering, someone who is in control of another person, someone that is totally in charge. And so that's what the word translates from the Greek. Jesus is our kurios and our despotes, our master. Now, folks, understand this. You cannot be a master unless you have what? Slaves. So before we begin our conversation today, I've got a long introduction, then we're going to get into this. And that's what I want you to understand. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. I want you to go to John 15, please. If you would, if you have your Bibles or on your device that you can so easily read without the help of glasses and contacts. I want you to read this and look at it with me. 
We're going to start in verse 12. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Verse 12, chapter 15, John. This is my commandment. Hmm. Notice that. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And no longer do I call you servants, it's the word slaves, doulos, for the servant does not know, the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now understand this. In our westernized Christianity Today, we're always talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, that's so abstract when you hear that kind of thing because people will say, this is the personal thing that I have, and they kind of make things up that Jesus is my good buddy. Jesus is just my pal. Jesus is just the guy upstairs, and me and him are like this. We had a country and western song, you remember it? Me and Jesus, we had our own thing going. Me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. Y'all didn't know I listened to country, did you? So it's there, okay? It's that kind of thing. We got it all worked out. But folks, understand something, that this is, this is total different language that we're talking about in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's just not our quote-unquote in a personal relationship with. In fact, I found that I heard this song, and it bothered me ever since I heard it. It's out there in the Christian universe. I still hear it every once in a while. It's called, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. I am a friend of God, and he calls me friend. Now, we find that in the Scripture. Abraham was called a friend of God, right? Why was he called a friend of God? Because he obeyed God's commandments. He did what God told him to do. Therefore, he was called a friend of God. Now, I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. This is what it says in the chorus. It's a nice song. What does it mean? It says, who am I that you are mindful of me? Is it true that you're thinking of me? Oh, how you love me. It's amazing. Who am I, Lord? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And then he repeats this over and over again. Where's the emphasis? The emphasis is on me. It's not on the Lord. It's on me. Who are you that I'm mindful, that you're mindful of me and you're thinking about me? <gasps> that puts the emphasis then on the self. And that's what everyday Western Christianity is almost all about is about self. It's on me. It's on me. It's on me. And then I heard the guy who wrote this song was the music minister at Joel Osteen's church. Any surprise? So, 
Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus says what? He tells us, this is the commandment that I, I give to you that you love one another. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, let's put that in everyday vernacular. You want to try to see how arrogant this is? You know, type thing? You would think it's arrogant on Jesus' part? Let's pretend I've never met Philip. Philip walks in, you know, and he says, Brother Andy, I, I'm in this area. I heard your YouTube, you know, announcement and, and your preaching and whatever, and I just wanted to come, and I just want to say I want to be your friend. And I say to Philip, fantastic, Philip. I will be your friend as long as you do what I say. As long as you do what I say. And that's the only way I'm going to be your friend. You do what I say. Right? That's why you're friends with Angela. I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> he does what I say. <laughs> so, what we're saying is, who would accept a friendship like that? But that's exactly what Jesus says. You are my friends if you do what I say. That's what he's saying about Christianity. Jesus will be our friend. So the difference, though, it says, here it is, when he's talking about the slave ship thing, and it says, no longer are you going to be called slaves, but friends. It doesn't mean that we are not still slaves. What it means is this. I'm going to give you some inside tracks to what the Father is doing. I'm instead of giving you commands and you just don't know what I'm doing, because you are my friends, because you are tethered to me, because I own you, I am going to give you inside information that other people don't know. I'm going to give you what the Father says. I'm going to share it with you. But you are still my friends and my slaves. He is still the master. That is what he's talking about. So when we come to Christ, guess what? We are slaves of Christ. Our life is not our own. And we are told in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. That's Slave talk here. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So if you are a Christian, you belong to someone else. Jesus is now master and Lord. But he is your friend because he's giving you the inside scoop. Where did you get the inside scoop? Here. You have words delivered to you through the Holy Scripture to tell you all about God's will and what he commands us to do. So he's given that to us. We need to understand that. We get the inside scoop. You're declaring when you're following Jesus Christ that he is sovereign over your life. You desire to be, do his bidding, therefore you are his slave. There's a story about a man named Athenius, who was imprisoned by the Romans for his commitment to Christ. And so when they brought him to an inquisition, they asked him question after question after question after question. And the only thing he said was this, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of Christ. You remember 
prisoners, we heard it and we've seen it in movies in World War II. If you're captured by the enemy, just give them your name, your dog tag number, and that is it. Never speak anything else when they question you. Here's the same thing. Jesus Christ is our master. Our theme ought to be, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of Christ. Aphenius was executed because that's all he would say. I want you to turn to another passage real quickly in this introduction. Jude. Turn to Jude if you would. I'm sure all of you have read, have read the second chapter of Jude, right? That's good. Someone said, I haven't because there's not one. <laughs> okay? There is not one. So Jude, listen to this slave talk from him. It says, Jude, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Your translations probably say servant, just like mine does. Basic is translated, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sincerity sensuality, now listen, and deny our only master, our despotes, our master and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the slave talk that he is saying there. He is saying there are those who are going to pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master. The same argument has come up in the passage that we read in Romans chapter 6, if you go back to Romans chapter 6 and follow along, you will see exactly the th same thing. The same thing has come up. And that's why we begin with this. There was a twisted argument that was being placed. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? So Paul basically is saying he anticipates this argument from these people as he is saying we're not under the law we are under the grace of God he is anticipating it because it's our nature to try to twist things so that we would live according to our own liking now you just stated we're not under law but under grace and so that basically means that some people were going to think well then it's, it's okay. We don't have any obligation to be obedient whatsoever to any form. In other words, I can do what I want to do. I know I'm going to be forgiven because I'm under grace. What does it matter if I live in sin? I can do what I want. Obedience is absolutely optional. Folks, that kind of twisted thinking goes on today. There are those who say that we don't have to obey any of the commandments in the Old Testament. We don't have to obey that. We just get unhitched from the Old Testament. We don't have to do what it says. The Ten Commandments have been erased from the books. No, they haven't. 
there are still laws on our books in our country. You cannot murder somebody. We have to obey the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. So therefore, we are obligated to obey this kind of thing. What Paul was speaking about is that the law, we're not under law. We're not under obligation to fulfill the law for salvation. But it is true that we obey the Ten Commandments and other commandments in the the law and other commandments that are given by Jesus Christ for our sanctification. By obedience to the command of Christ, we grow in holiness. And that's what this whole chapter 6 is about. It's applying what he spoke about in chapters 1 through 5. This is how we live it out. We are to pursue holiness. And so he answers this twisted argument, and he gives an unwavering answer. You know what it is? Me ganoito. (laughs) What? Me ganoito. One of the harshest phrases in the Greek New Testament. It is saying, may it never be. Some translators say, in the Greek, this was a curse word. This was H-E double hockey sticks. No. That's what he was saying. No. No. May it never be. Let me translate that. No, never, nada. We are not to do that a thousand times. No. And so now he jumps into verse 16 to using a current analogy, listen what it says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. This is what he's trying to say. I'm going to speak in the everyday vernacular. You understand this, Romans. At the time of Paul's writing, when he's writing this, there were between 5 and 10 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. Slavery, therefore, was something that was a little bit different. It involved all ethnic groups, all ethnic groups of people that they conquered, but also it included Roman citizens who had become bankrupt and went to people and said, we will sell our services to you so that we can then be taken care of. We will become your slaves. So what Paul was saying was using something in everyday vernacular that they would understand. Slavery was there, and that's one thing they had all in common. They obeyed their masters. They obeyed their masters. And so how do we find a spiritual application from this? Here it is. We are all slaves. Listen to what he says again. You are slaves to the one whom you obey. Sin or righteousness? The question is, spiritual application for us, whose slave will we be? Well, if you're born again, you don't have any other recourse than to say, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ because that's what he's done for you. You have been bought with a price. And what Paul's saying is this, if you serve sin, your master is Satan. If you serve God, you are his slave. And there are two outcomes, death, righteousness, death, righteousness. Now, here's something that Paul then in verse 17 gives a wonderful, great acknowledgement. This is what he says. But thanks be to God. 
Notice what he's doing. He's not going on and saying, well, you know what? I chose in and of myself to become a slave of God. Therefore, all credit is due me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, thanks be to God. Who released him from the chains of slavery? Who did that? It was God. Who released you from the slavery of sin? It was God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So was it by your efforts or was it by grace? Folks, it was all of grace. Now I want you to look at this acclamation, dear folks. This is marvelous. This is great. This is, gives us a reason to thank God just like Paul did in verse 17. He says this, that you who were once slaves have become obedient from the heart. Here it is. You were once slaves. This speaks about what you formerly were, but you are not now. You are not now a slave of sin. You are a slave in righteousness. Every believer was formerly something. If we looked in your closet, there's many of you that were formerly something, and we won't drag those things out. Why? Because that's what you once were, not what you are now. Thanks be to God. Amen? That's what that means. That's what we have to understand. This reminds us of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Listen to what it says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, which you were before Christ, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11, what a great statement. And such were some of you. They were all in that category. They were all one whatever it may have been, they were in that category, and so were you before you came to Christ. You were in some way one of those. Well, I wasn't an adulterer or pastor. I wasn't an adulterer. I wasn't an idolater. But did you ever have greed? Did you ever deceive anybody? You were in that camp. But when you came to Christ, you were that you've become new because he goes on to say but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God but how did they leave how did they leave their former slavery it says but they became obedient by their efforts that kind of sounds like well we got to be obedient to be able to earn salvation no 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 Listen to what it says. It says they came, it says they became obedient from the heart. They had, a new, they had a new heart. They had a heart change with new affections, new loyalty. They became obedient because God took out this old heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He opened their heart to believe in him, and they now have new affections and new loyalty. They became obedient to the standard of teaching. 
Now that word teaching means divine truth. Standard means a mark made as a result of a blow or a pressure, a mark or a trace. Now listen to this. Let's read this again. I want you to get this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. You had a change of heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed because that teaching, if it really means to mark a mark made as a result of a blow or pressure, the reason you became committed to that standard of teaching because the teaching of the Word of God caused a mark, caused a blow upon your heart so that you're never the same again. And that's exactly what Paul talks about when we're a new creation. When we come to Christ, God opens that heart through the word of God and the preaching of the word of God. He says that in Romans. When we get to Romans chapter 10, how are they going to get saved unless they hear the word of God? As the preaching of the word of God came to you at whatever age you were, it so impressed you, it so marked you that a change of heart occurred and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened. And when it says to which you were committed, it means you were handed over to him. You have a new heart. You're in a new kingdom. You've entrusted yourself to the word of God to be handed over to his teaching. In other words, you've been transferred from one slave owner, Satan, to another, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that. When you wanted to trade slaves, they take you to the trade market, they put you on the block, and you are sold. You're going to be sold to another. Those who were going to buy slaves chose those who would be purchased. And I love what MacArthur says about it. He says this. Think about that with with salvation in mind. The Lord went into the slave market of sin, and he chose, and then he paid the redemption price... And it wasn't silver and gold. What was it? Precious blood. And we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And now he is our Lord and he said this, whoever obeys me, he is my child. Another metaphor but the same concept. So we have been chosen, we have been bought, we are owned, we are provided for. My God shall supply all your needs. We are protected, are we not? We are disciplined and then we are rewarded. Well done, thy good and faithful, you've heard, servant. You know what words used? Doulos. Well done, thy good and faithful slave. Well done. All those concepts, MacArthur says, within the magnificent realm of what it means to be a Christian are tied to the concept of being a slave. They have been set free. They have been set free. That's what verse 18 says. Listen to what it says. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's just an echo of John chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Well, they said, we're, we're offspring of Abraham. We're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So as we're moving along in this passage, we understand this, verse 19, we see this simplistic address. This is what he says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of the natural limitations that you have. I'm speaking to you in human terms. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. I return to what Stephen Lawson says. He puts it so well and how we can use this as our own spiritual application to God. How do we present ourselves to God? He says this. We present our eyes to God what you are looking at throughout your day. You must present your ears to God, what you're listening to throughout the day because it's affecting your spiritual life. You must present your mind to God, what you think during the day. You must present your feet to God, where you go and where you travel. You must present your tongue to God, what you say to others. You must present your hands to God, what you laid hold of and what you do. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, every member of your body must be continually presented to God. Every aspect of our lives must be presented to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ like a priest offering a sacrifice unto the altar. Your life must, uh, is no longer to be in your hands, but to be given over to God. He is your owner. He is your owner. Dear friends, how does our life line up with that? Are we giving it over to sin? Are we presenting our bodies to sin? We become slaves of that sin. Are we presenting our bodies as instruments of righteousness? This is what the whole thing is talking about. Whole chapter 6, look, we've been bought with a price. Look, we have died to sin. We are united with Jesus Christ. He is our master We are his slaves. We are to do his bidding. We are his friends if we are obedient to him. Are we doing that on a daily basis? Are we walking as slaves unto God? Do we get up in the morning and say, Master, what now? What now? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, that you've delivered us from the domain of darkness, for the domain of slavery to sin, to slavery unto righteousness, Lord. We declare today as a congregation that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And, Lord, we desire to glorify you as a church, as a Christian. Father, so help us each and every day to awake thanking you first of all thanks be to God that you have brought us out of what we were formerly in and brought us into a new kingdom help us O Lord by your spirit to put to death the works of the flesh and help us to cry unto you and to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto you O Lord so that we may glorify your name in everything we do correct us Lord where we have walked back into slavery to sin We present our eyes, our feet, our hearts, our whole body to you. 
Lord, we want to obey your commandments. Help us by your spirit to put to death the flesh and to live according to you. I pray that for this congregation as they walk from this place. Lord, that they would glorify your name. But Father, I also pray again for our week that's coming up, hearts that are being molded that come to this place. Lord, if it is your will to open the heart of children to believe in you, help them to understand what it means to take up this cross, to deny themselves, to die to self, Lord. What it means to walk as a friend of Jesus Christ, that we are still his slaves, but we lived for righteousness. Father, I pray that you would grant us the salvation of souls next week. Father, I pray whatever your will is, Lord, that we desire it, and Lord, we will walk in it, and we will magnify you in all things. Thank you for allowing us to see this in the word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.